Rise and grind. That's what we hear everywhere, every day these days. Making money, cashing checks, rolling in Benjamins, stacks on stacks. All this really breaks down to how free you are to live the life you want without answering to a corporate ladder. That's where you get the side hustle. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Nick Loper. Nick is a best-selling author and award-winning podcast host of The Side Hustle Show, which goes out twice a week to a massive audience. He definitely brings a wealth of experience as well as some genuinely interesting and unusual ideas about money-making opportunities you've probably never considered. I feel I can brag a little bit because despite his large archive of episodes and many appearances on other shows, I still got him to say this. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know if anybody's asked me that. Woo! Let's get creative and make some extra cash. Welcome to the show, Nick Loper. Hey, Colton. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit for the audience? You bet. So Nick Loper here for the last nine plus years, I've been hosting the Side Hustle Show podcast, all about part-time business ideas, deconstructing where the money came from. How'd you get your first customers? How'd you come up with that idea? Love that stuff. Um, it's still as exciting today, maybe even more so because like now really interesting ideas start to come out of the woodwork than in the early days. Um, and alongside that, run the SideHustleNation.com blog, which you know features targets a slightly different audience, but very similar, all under the umbrella of, well, how do I make extra money, which I, we've probably all Googled at some point, or how do I make money online? I know we've all been there scrolling through the uh, results to try to figure out, well, which of these options is going to work for me? And that is uh, what I do for work. Um, Home-wise, married, uh, we have two young boys. They are six and four, and it's summer break, so we're trying to maximize the time in the beautiful Northwest. Uh, we waited, you know, twelve months for this weather to roll around again, and so we're trying to take the most, make the most of that as well. Yeah, awesome. And it seems like you know you can't you can't Google search or stumble through social media without hearing you know side hustle or you know how to make money on the side. But at, at its base level, what is a side hustle? A side hustle is anything you're doing to make money outside of your day job. And in previous generations, maybe it was known as moonlighting, but there's this important distinction between a side hustle and a second job, you know, whether it's you know, delivering pizzas or bartending or you know, something like that. There's this entrepreneurial connotation that there, that there might be some upside or there might be some way to decouple your earning power from the hours that you put into it. Like, like there's this idea of leverage that this could grow to be something bigger than maybe it is today or bigger than just a second job. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It feels like way more invested than a hobby, but not working for someone else, or at least not working directly under somebody. Right. So what are some misconceptions that you just hear constantly about side hustles? Um, one of the biggest ones, maybe one of the most frustrating ones is the people who are stuck on the sidelines waiting for the, you know, lightning strike of inspiration with this never before seen business idea, uh, to hit. And it's just, I think that's number one, a risky 
proposition. Like, well, nobody's done it before. Like if literally no one on the planet has come up with the thing that you're thinking of, like, is there any market demand for that? Like, how do you, how do you know that's going to be a thing? Um, so that's a very frustrating one. And then the other common misconception, um, or, you know, I don't know, maybe not, but like, you know, people want instant results. Like I want to, and, and part of this is just a byproduct of our culture, like on demand, I want to press a button and have the thing now. Right. And it's like, well, you know, building a business sometimes takes a little bit more time, takes a little bit more runway and we can get into some of the different options. I maybe depending on your time horizon, what might make sense for you. Yeah. And it sounds like side hustle really is running your own business, whether that's at an extremely low level, or if you're trying to grow it to something larger. And that definitely separates it from, you know, what I think a lot of people are getting into, which is like, oh, I want to make this hobby something more than a hobby. Like, is there a lot of crossover where people are like, oh, well, I started out doing, you know, I'll use my, my wife's example, an epoxy resin, like I did it for fun. And now I'm thinking about selling it. Like, where does it cross over from I'm doing this because I have time into I'm doing this intentionally? That's an interest. I don't know. What what does she use the epoxy resin for? Uh, so she makes a lot of things. They're just like coasters and, you know, makeup holders and all kinds of, you know, different utility trays of some sort generally. Okay. And, and so she does it, you know, for herself and for friends and family, like for gifts yeah, she was initially just doing it because she wanted to figure out like, you see a lot of it online where people make tables and they'll have like this big cutout in the middle and yeah. they'll make it look pretty. And she's like, well, I want to figure out how they make it look pretty like that and do it on our tables. Okay. And eventually that turned into like, I have 600 molds. <laughs> <laughs> look at all these dyes. Let's figure out how to use them. Yeah. Um, that's like, where does that, yeah, does it turn translate into the Etsy shop? Does it translate into the Instagram account where she's documenting her journey and other people are raising their hand and saying, yeah, hey, can you do that for me? Like that's kind of when it starts to blur the line between hobby and business. And then like, once you start to make sales, like, Hey, now we're in, now we're in business. People want this stuff. Um, but to go back to your thing about, okay, you know, what are some of the hobbies that we can monetize or like, where does that line get crossed? I think, we talked about a win when you have a paying customer, like, okay, now you're in business, but I think there's a lot of pressure to, uh, you know, identify your passions in life. And, you know, what are you, what are you so passionate about? Like, I want to go do that in my spare time. And it's like, if you know the answer to that question, great. If you don't know the answer to that question, I think it's really stressful. Like for me, you know, what are, what are you passionate about? Like, I, I don't know. I'm interested in a bunch of different stuff, skiing and baseball and riding bikes with the kids and hiking and swimming. And I, it's like, but are any of those my undying passion? Like, I don't know. And I don't know, you know, is there a business idea on the other side of that? So some of the hobby related business models that we've seen is like, if you are particularly good at a thing, you see people tr uh, you know, packaging up that knowledge into online content, into digital courses is one common path. So for example, uh, Jacques Hopkins runs a site called pianoin21days.com. He, I guess, taught himself a novel way to learn the piano very quickly and has packaged that up into an online course. Does extremely well selling that. We had another guest who was uh, baking sourdough bread and saw it as a personal challenge to come and bake the sour, best sourdough bread, you know, pre-pandemic, like before it became really big. I imagine her business absolutely blew up during the pandemic, but, you know, started teaching online bread baking courses. That's a really common way to do it. 
uh, teaching other people what you know. And then other one, a recent one that was actually a lot of fun was a guy who was like the high school chess coach and, you know, he's doing okay, you know, teaching chess after class. And then, you know, even working at a summer camp, teaching these chess classes, but then, you know, what he switched from doing it under somebody else's umbrella to doing it on his own is what kind of exploded his hourly rate. Um, it's like, okay, now I can do, you know, group classes and even charge less than what the kids were paying this summer camp for. But meanwhile, like now there's no middleman. And eventually he took that online. He's got other coaches underneath him, like teaching this chess curriculum and progressing people through the, um, I guess, through the different skill levels. And I think that was a really interesting way to kind of take what he already knew, a skill that he already had, and what was a hobby and a desirable hobby uh, for kids and to turn that into uh, into a business and, or, you know, what was when we spoke still his side hustle, but is now at the six figure level and hopefully will become a full-time business for him pretty soon. Wow. Yeah. That is an impressive number that I would not think side hustle when I hear it. You're like, oh yeah, my side hustle makes six figures. Like, that right? sounds like yeah. a main job. <laughs> it's becoming, it's becoming their second main job. And some people for the, that sake of, you know, the financial argument, is kind of you, you want to aim for something where you know two, three, four, five years down the line, you got to ask yourself, well, what does success look like? Is a lot of people get caught up on the fear of failure? To, you know, what are the common misconceptions or what holds people back? This fear of failure is a big one. Like, oh, what if it doesn't work? Uh, it's going to be super embarrassing. I, I don't know. It just it doesn't feel good, right? But the other question, and I think you. I think it's important to you know ask yourself those realistic worst case scenario questions like well what happens if it doesn't work like okay is this going to be you know put me in a financial bind like hopefully everything you start is low risk and it you know isn't going to bankrupt you but the other question is well what if it does work what does success look like and can you find somebody who's you know three four five years ahead of you who's followed that path and what does their day-to-day look like are they are they working 80 hour weeks or do they have a little bit of flexibility in their schedule? Are they, you know, stuck in the day to day? Are they kind of graduated to, you know, management level? Do they have some leverage in the time that they're putting into it? So all these questions are kind of ones that I think are worthwhile exploring at the onset, especially if you're trying to compare, you know, multiple different side hustle paths. Well, yeah. And it sounds like it could go either way right? Like you can have a side hustle that just kind of exists in itself for, I imagine an extended period of time, or you could, you know, see some success and see your passion and try and just like push to make that, you know, more than just the side hustle, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. And it, it, and maybe it starts with that business model and, and deciding from the onset, like, uh, am I going to walk dogs, or I'm going to start a dog walking company. Am I going to go mow lawns or I'm going to start a lawn care company, right? If I can kind of position it in my mind for, even if you start out cutting the grass yourself, right? But you can kind of position it in your mind as something that has the potential to scale, to stop trading time for money down the road. Then maybe you, that frees you up to, you know, not be the guy who, or girl who's like selling your specific skills, but like solving the but selling the solution to a problem instead. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, It's actually a really good way to put it that I had not thought about, which is like the framing that you use has a real importance. You know, are you just doing this thing or are you running a business doing this thing? Right. Yeah. Um, 
So what kind of time investments do you usually see people getting into when they start? We'll just try and I know it's a gigantic field side hustle encompassing everything you can do. Sure. But like what kind of time investment do you generally see people taking on? I think the average is, you know, 13 hours a week if you want to put a hard number on it. But anywhere between 5 hours and 20 hours would fall squarely in that side hustle range. You know, whether that's you know, half an hour in the mornings before you head off to work, you know, maybe it's a couple hours in the evenings. In our case, like after the kids go to bed, sometimes I'm still catching up on email or like finishing up stuff from the day. And then if you're working the traditional nine to five, like maybe you dedicate one day on the weekends to tackle this thing and start moving that uh, ball forward. But that consistent effort is really the key. It's like, it's so hard to make any meaningful progress if you, you know, do an hour on a Thursday and then you wait three weeks and then you have a half an hour on the next Tuesday, it's like hard to build any sort of positive momentum. And that was where I really struggled during the pandemic was like, you know, shifting childcare duties, you know, when the preschool was closed for months on end and it was like, well, you're trying to balance things with my wife or like I work one day and then have the kids and then work another day. And it was just like, it was so hard to build any sort of positive progress um, and get, get, you know, out of, just, just, you know, just a head above water, like maintenance mode. Um, and so even if it's just 15 minutes a day, half an hour a day, like trying to make it a consistent daily habit, you start to see the compound effect of those efforts. Yeah. And I have to assume like just finding whatever consistency you can helps immensely. Like you said, you know, life will throw challenges at you where you don't know when you're going to get the next time to do this, but you have to try and, you know, eke out 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is you can find wherever it is you can find it try and make that yeah i think you're most likely to have control over what's been called the bookends of your day first thing in the morning last thing before bed um, whereas in the middle of the day you're you know reacting to other people's agenda and you're putting out fires and that's totally fine like nobody there's a spectrum right nobody realistically is in charge of 100% of their time every single day, right? We all have other responsibilities, but if you can, you know, start to take control of, you know, little sections of it, little chunks of it, it's a way to exercise some of that time freedom and be proactive uh, on moving things forward that you care about. Well, and I can imagine that's where a lot of people go wrong is that they're like, oh, well, I don't, I only have four hours of freedom a day. I don't want to, you know, be using it for whatever this is when I could do something that I enjoy. And it's like, well, right. that's why you have to find something you're passionate about, right? Well, find something that you do enjoy. And what we found, and there's some research from uh, Cal Newport, and I think Dan Pink to back this up too, is that you know, passion often follows doing the work, right? I started painting houses in college had no passion for this, but after the course of a couple summers, you couldn't help but like look up under the the eaves as you're walking around. Like, oh, look at that. there's a paint job waiting to happen. I remind me, I'll come back and give these guys an estimate on the weekend. And same thing with podcasting. Like, no passion for podcasting nine years ago. I didn't know what I was doing, but over the course of putting in the reps, you become passionate about it. And so it's finding something that you're interested in that excites you, and hopefully that you see you know, just enough traction to make it interesting and worthwhile in those early days while you're kind of in that building mode, trying to get the flywheel spinning, that you're motivated to keep doing it. And then you find that the passion follows, uh, follows those results. Yeah. And it is definitely one of those that leads into a question for me. 
where it's like you're passionate about it and you want to find time to work on it and you start, you know, getting really good at it or, you know, doing whatever. Do you ever see people run into a conflict with their regular day job when they start getting, you know, better at the side hustle or they start putting more time into it? Well, that's one thing you want to avoid. Uh, definitely avoid any conflicts of interest. Um, so if you're starting a business, like a service-based business in the same niche as your employer, that's kind of like a gray area or a red flag area where you want to you know, talk to the HR department beforehand, like make sure you have the blessing, like you're not in breach of any contract. We've had had people on the show saying like, well, I actually got fired from my job because I was responding to inbound messages for my side business, even though it's completely unrelated, but like, oh, I get these notifications like, oh, you know, a client is requesting a bid. So, you know, sneak off and go do this stuff. It's like, you know, during work hours, that's, uh, that's a little bit tricky. So, you know, while your employer is paying you, uh, I think you owe it to them to be on task for your employer. Um, now that said, they don't own you 24 hours a day. So in the off hours on the weekends, like I think my friend, my friend put it this way. It's like, what, what are they, you know, why should they care whether you're running a business in your spare time or running marathons in your spare time? It's your spare time. So I think as long as you can have a separation of a church and state in that way, I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. It's one of those, I've had a, a chat with my employers. I was like, Hey, I'm getting better at this and I'm getting, you know, the show's getting a little more popular. I have this event to do that I just need to let you know of in case we're supposed to have some kind of overtime. Like yeah. I, w- I won't be there. And they're like, well, is, like, are you, are you hitting a point where you're going to leave us? And I was like, look, I don't make, I don't make real <laughs> money doing this. Like, I'm not leaving anywhere. I just wanted to let you know that it's something I'm passionate about and I have scheduled for. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to do it. Like be upfront about it. Um, and let them know kind of where you're, where you're at. Um, now as things grow, as things change. So my original, um, my original side hustle was a comparison shopping site for footwear. And that's what I was working while I was working corporate. And my boss knew about it at the time. And he would even bring it up. Like we'd be out on dealer calls and he'd say like, Hey, show, you know, look at these guys' shoes, you know, bring it. Why don't you bring up your website? It was so embarrassing. Cause like the interface and it only worked like if you followed a very specific sequence of clicks and it was just, I don't know, he, he probably thought it was a joke, like, Oh, you know, whatever. And so when I told him I was quitting to do the thing, he's like, Oh, okay. You know, good, good for you. Let's see how that works. But, um, you know, being upfront about it, very helpful. Um, just for the sake of transparency. Now that I guess, you know, maybe a, a caveat to that, especially if you have like a service-based business and you're going you're going all out like on LinkedIn or Facebook, like, you know, very public social media, like sticking your flag in the sand. I, now I do this, this, and this. Uh, then your employer might be like, wait a minute, you know, where is, how are you taking, when are you taking those client calls? Or what are you getting this stuff done? Um, and so maybe you know, one strategy that we've seen people do is kind of like lie low a little bit until you have some traction because that first business idea might not be the one, right? And you don't want to be the person who is like very publicly uh, a changing course. And maybe you've seen, it's, you know, it's your friend who's trying to recruit you for the latest network marketing thing where they're selling pots and pans one week and the next week they're selling some herbal supplements. And the next week they're selling leggings or essential oils. And it's like, it's hard to you know, compartmentalize in our heads. Like, what is this person really doing? So if you can, I don't know, lie low until you have a little bit of traction. Like you said, we're like, look, I'm going to get in, I'm going to need this time off to focus on my side project. And that way you can be okay. Yeah. 
and when you're doing you know you're you're really growing this you're trying to make something of it uh how much is too much to spend time wise or dollars wise uh i would say dollars wise like, oh that's like, a good question yeah if i'm like oh i want to I want to start this podcast and this is going to be my side hustle. Like if I invest, you know, hundreds of dollars, is that appropriate? Is thousands of dollars appropriate? Like, where's the, the line where you're like, you have now spent too much on this and you're not seeing a return. Yeah. That's a really good question. I don't know if anybody's asked me that the way that I look at um, really any sort of investment, especially like upfront business startup costs is as a percentage of net worth. So if you haven't calculated your net worth lately or ever, it's what you own minus what you owe. And so if you look at other startup, maybe it's $100,000, for example. And so if you say, well, it's gonna cost a thousand bucks to get this, you know, just to get the equipment that I need, maybe the training that I need, the software that I need, whatever it is, like, okay, that's that's 1% of net worth. Like, oh, okay, you know, that's not, I can probably live on, you know, 99% of the oxygen that I'm currently consuming or 99% of the current calories that I'm consuming. Like, okay, if this all goes belly up, I'm still going to be okay. Now, in some cases, it might be like, you know, if it's going to be 50 grand to start up, like that makes me a little bit nervous. I've had people send me notes like, oh, you know, I'm, I've got $30,000 invested into this you know, website. It's almost ready. It's almost live. Like, do you have a customer? Like, it makes me so nervous. Like, you know, what is the leaner startup way to go? Like, how could you validate this thing, uh, you know, earlier on with lower start? Could you, have, could you have rented some equipment, you know, instead of buying it? Could you, um, you know, pre-sell this stuff to make sure there's demand? Lots of different ways to go. So I'm very much an advocate of starting as lean as possible. Don't go into debt to get this stuff done. And a friend of mine kind of put it this way. It's like, as long as you have kept your, you know, startup costs, low and you're taking swings at businesses with a high enough upside, it really only becomes a matter of taking enough swings. Like before you find something that hits and has kind of that outsized result, it erases all your losses. It's the same way that, you know, venture capitalists look at, you know, taking, and they're, they're betting millions and millions of dollars. Like we're talking like, you know, hundreds or thousands maybe. Um, But it's the same idea. Like, could you have that one hit that erases all of the potential losses along the way? Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it because I have definitely had friends who have invested thousands and thousands of dollars into stuff and then seen it go nowhere, you know, either because they weren't marketing hard enough or they weren't, you know, they didn't have a website and they weren't pushing people on social media and all those things. And it's like, boy, this is a, you're putting a lot of money into this. Are you doing all right? Are you, everything okay <laughs> yeah it's surprising i remember showing up to one of my very first like online uh, you know online media conferences and the number of people were like oh i bought so-and-so's program or i bought this you know online course i was like really like what's what's your business like and it was just it was weird because i'm like very frugal in that way where it's like you know i i have since found the benefit benefit of investing in training but like for usually for very specific, um, you know, outcomes or results. Like what is the deliverable for this thing? And like, how can I use it to pour fuel on the fire rather than using it to start the fire in the first place? Like even at a, a recent uh, podcast conference, I met people there who didn't even have a podcast yet. I was like, oh, really? Like you bought a plane ticket and you bought a conference ticket and you bought a hotel and you know, all this stuff. 
you know, why not learn for free on YouTube first and see if you like doing the thing. And then, but some people kind of need that monetary motivation to say like, okay, I invested in it. I'm going to, I'm going to go make it happen now. I don't know. Scary stuff in some ways. It definitely is. And it feels like no matter where you are, there is someone above and below you. Like, unless you're in the most niche market of all time, like I recently spoke on a panel for podcasting yeah where i was like okay i haven't been doing this all that long are you sure you want me speaking on it and they're like oh yeah there's tons of people out there who haven't started it and just think they want to do it and they they will pay to listen to you speak yeah and i'm like okay you realize i'm under a year right <laughs> you like, just yeah, have we... to be one step ahead right yeah and i'm like okay i show up and there's people there who are like oh this is my 10th year in podcasting i'm like all right well I am weirdly out of my depth already. <laughs> I would defer to the, uh, you know, the senior member of the panel. But no, everything that I've started, you know, with the exception of the painting business has probably been sub $500. And, and the painting business, the only reason it was more than that because I bought like this cheap beater truck that was like 3,500. Uh, but everything else is like, especially online, domain name, hosting, you know, maybe some equipment. The Side Hustle show started with a, $60 mic in the corner of the living room. And it's just, you know, how can you validate this thing quickly? You know, how do you do it to the point where you see some traction and, uh, you know, find out whether or not you enjoy doing it and then you can upgrade from there. Yeah. And I think that plays into the flip side of this, which is like, obviously there's again, a really wide variety of things we're talking about, but is there some baseline where you're like, Hey, if you don't make ten dollars in your first two weeks like maybe look at reevaluating things well it depends on the model right i think if it's a service-based business like you can go out and find your first customer there's no startup cost in most cases like just go find a customer solve their problem you know what skills do you have who do you who can you serve who can you help that has a need for that skill um, if it's a product-based business it might be you know selling items out of your garage it might be flipping items from the yard sale down the street. It might be a consignment business where you help your neighbors declutter their stuff. And, you know, you take the pictures and you send it off to eBay or Facebook marketplace. Um, or it might be this longer term play, this, these content-based businesses or, you know, online-based businesses where you might not see any sale. You got to have people paying attention to you before you can monetize with affiliate links, with advertising, with your own products and services. Once you have the attention, then you've got different options. That makes sense. Because again, like I said, it is such a, a huge variety of things that we're looking at. That's like, well, if you were looking at podcasting or being, you know, on YouTube or TikTok, or imagine any of these things where it's like, you need eyeballs on you. Like that is a long road to return where it's like, it, don't it expect, yeah, don't expect to make money anytime soon. I know. I mean, you probably talk to people where it's, you know, step one, go viral, <laughs> you know, step two, question mark, question mark, you know, step three, profit. You're like, well, well, go go back to step one. Like, is that, you know, repeatable? Is that, you know, but some people say, hey, I've got the process. You know, I know how the viral engine works. Like, all right, good for you. But it sounds, it seems like when there's that big of an element of luck involved, it seems a little bit, I don't know. To me, that seems like a little more risky strategy. Yeah, definitely a thing where you're like, okay, I know there is an algorithm, but unless you, can tap directly into that like 
and it doesn't change at all so you don't have to adjust your measurements isn't this like like you said it's not repeatable <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean it's but some people hit it over and over again so you've got it somewhat figured out and especially if you take enough swings maybe i don't know it's i have not yet cracked the viral engine but so my style of content is evergreen long form um you know put in the work week after week after week and then hopefully the word of mouth engine starts to spin in your favor yeah i was just uh i was just down in austin texas i was talking to some buddies of mine that work on a podcast network and it was like well yeah you guys hit success really well with this and they're like yeah but we also did it three years ago for absolutely no one they're like we did it for a full year no one ever listened they're like we ended up scrapping the whole thing we spent two years in downtime and then like we relaunched with a bigger network and a bigger audience in a smarter way and it just worked out yeah you learn as you go and i think that's maybe the important thing to take away even from the projects that don't pan out is the what are the you know lessons from the failure you know military people will call it the after action report and say what what went well what went wrong what can we learn from this and make sure we apply those lessons to the next project yeah it's like if you know steps x y and z lead to a bad outcome like okay next time i won't use that (laughs) yeah (laughs) so you know again we're putting in all this time put or hoping to get something out of it is there a risk that you just burn yourself out there totally is. And there's been somewhat of a, a backlash against, you know, the so-called hustle culture. And I think for good reason, where it's like, you, you can't physically burn the candle at both ends and, you know, rise and grind, work 24 seven, sleep when you're dead, like all of that stuff, you know, death before decaf kind of, stuff. it's like, I, I don't know. I don't operate very well on uh, limited sleep. And I don't think anybody can do that for extended periods of time. Uh, it's just, you, you're, your body needs to rest. Um, the exception to that would be if you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you know it's going to take a sprint to get there, especially when you're kind of like closing that final gap, whatever it may be in terms of income from your side business to uh, eclipse your day job or to cover your expenses. You're like, I really got to get out of this corporate grind. And like, I know it's going to be a really hard month, two months, three months, maybe at the max, like, I don't know, it still makes me nervous to do that because it's at the detriment of your health and probably your relationships. But if you see the light at the end of the tunnel, go for it, but it's not sustainable to do long-term. And I think the the backlash against the rise and grind hustle culture is definitely merited. Yeah. It's like you said, you know, it's, if there is a sprint, you know, take your chances, but if it's a marathon, like you gotta, you gotta find a different pacing. Cause like totally. you can't, you can't run a marathon while also training for a marathon. Yeah. Bad, bad, just a recipe for, for pain. Right. Um, not that I can relate. I don't run any marathon, so I'm not training or running. <laughs> My kid wanted to run a 5k this weekend. And I was like, man, there's a lot more K's that I've run in a long time, buddy. But you know, I'll see if I can keep up with you. And he did awesome. Like it was actually pretty, uh, it was pretty rewarding. And he was very motivated by like passing people. Like always looking over his shoulder. Yeah, there's a, they're, they're right on our tail. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> like huffing and puffing along. But it was a fun, it was a fun time. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those that I've heard where, you know, I was su- I'm super self-conscious all the time. But, uh, you know, people are like, oh, what if I'm the last person to cross the finish line? And it's like, well, then you're still 
you still crossed the finish line. So like either you accomplished it, goal complete, or you beat everyone that didn't finish. That's right. You beat everybody who didn't run at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you could get off the line and do what a hundred yards. And then you're like, man, I'm tapped out. And then you look at the audience and you're like, none of you ran. (laughs) Oh my goodness. This guy showed up at our uh, 4th of July barbecue, friend of a friend. And he just finished the Western States hundred mile ultra endurance marathon race. I think they go through like, I don't know, some crazy terrain and like all this elevation took him 27 hours. I was like, can you, I can barely run for like half an hour and he's running for 27 hours. So I was like, man, but you know, the level of training and commitment that it took to get there is all the behind the scenes work that you don't see. Honestly. So in putting in the work, is there like recommendations for, you know, the, the easiest things versus like maybe the most difficult where you're like, if you hear something, you're like red flags everywhere or, you know, green for go. Oh, okay. Um, So on the easy side of the spectrum, I think you have a lot of the plug and play side hustles, the Ubers, Lyfts, DoorDashes, the, you know, Rover dog walkings of the world, kind of like tapping into these pre-existing apps and marketplaces where like my Lyft driver he was like, if I want to make money, I turn on the app, you know, and it's very simple, straightforward. You see results quickly, but you're kind of capped on your earning power, both because it's a skill that almost everybody has. And so there's a natural downward pressure on you know, how much you can earn. And now not to mention like the price of gas, it, you know, becomes kind of this you know, recommended as a stopgap, or if you're, if you didn't need to uh, make money quickly, and if you have a very fuel efficient vehicle, like, okay. Maybe it makes sense. Also on the easier side of the spectrum, I would consider like the decluttering option, like clean out your garage, sell some stuff on eBay, sell it on Facebook marketplace, which we did last month or a couple months ago, we sold 700 bucks worth of stuff on Facebook marketplace. And it was like, oh, I feel better mentally. I feel like we have better, we have you know more space in the garage now. And on top of that, we got 700 bucks. So that was a cool way. Kind of like, you know, leveling up the, uh, you know, difficulty ladder, I would say, you know, freelancing, maybe the next thing, especially if you've never done it before, because there's this other skill set aside from doing the actual work, you got to learn, you know, client outbound, uh, you know, sales, and you got to, you know, figure out contracts. And now you have to deliver the work before, like, if you, even if you were doing the same thing uh, underneath a uh, company, underneath some other corporation, like, you know, everybody is, there were, there were departments of people that took care of all that other stuff. So now you're kind of like doing that all solo, um, leveling up the uh, difficulty ladder. Another step would be, you know, translating that to an agency model where now not only have I got to do all that outbound sales, but now I've got to manage, I got to hire and manage somebody else to do, fulfill that work. And now I'm making, you know, a smaller margin than I used to be because I got to pay them to do the work, but Hey, you know, I got a little more time freedom because I, it's not, you know, tied to my specific skills anymore. And then, you know, on the you know, more, more difficult models would be, you know, the blogging, podcasting, YouTube side of the world, just because there's so many different elements involved. I got to learn keyword research. I got to learn SEO and I got to learn how all these social platforms work. And I got to figure out the monetization side of things, whether that's affiliates or advertising, and then I got to optimize everything. So lots of different skills to learn, but you could start small. You can layer this skill sets up. You could stack one on top of the other and ultimately uh, build a side hustle that serves you and serves others. Yeah. Uh, 
obviously people listening couldn't see my face when you were like, oh yeah, but this upper end of difficulty, like doing things like podcasting. And I'm like, oh, oh good. Like glad to know I'm up in that upper register because uh, it definitely is like a lot of skill sets that I didn't bank on. There's a lot that goes into it. And, and I think your listeners will appreciate that effort and, and kind of learning and being along for the journey with you. Yeah, it is one that I'll have to like at the at the year mark or something, I'll have to go over. And here's all the ways that I was an idiot getting into this, like learn from my mistakes, people. Yeah. So those are kind of you, you described, you know, the easiest things, the harder things, the hardest things. Oh my um, gosh. Should we talk about software? Like, I feel like, you know, software is like the holy grail of side hustles. Like, oh, I could create something once and sell it over and over again. But it's like, oh my gosh, do you know how to code? Do you know how, like, and layer that on top of all of the marketing side of things to, yeah, I go into the, to sell the software. But um, yeah, there's yeah, lots of different business models out there with varying degrees of difficulty to be sure. Well, yeah. And software is like the immense amount of skill you have to do to do the job and then add all the other things onto it. But boy, it feels like the payoff or the payday rather like has been very glorified. I don't know if that is true to the actual nature or not. If you think about, well, what's, what's the end game? Is it, you know, recurring quote, you know, quote unquote passive income? Is it to sell the business to some other company? Like you, you can think about that end game. And in the case of software, very especially software as a service where it's like, you know, monthly or annual recurring customers, like that's a very attractive business for other people to come and buy. And it may trade at, you know, a three to five X annual earnings multiple. And so you say, oh, okay, if I can get this thing to 20 grand a month, you know, for me, maybe that's a lifestyle business, but for some investor that could be worth, would that be, uh, call it 200 grand a year times three, you know, that might be a half million to a million dollar business upon exit. And you're like, oh, okay. I just spent my time not only building this recurring revenue stream, but I also built this asset, which I think is a little bit different from, you know, starting a, you know, just a freelance business. I'm a freelance writer because nobody's going to buy that as a business asset and because they can't, they can't really buy you, but they could buy this software that you created or they could buy this website that you created. Sure. And as long as they have you know, access to the code and the, the name recognition, I imagine to some extent also really helps. Yeah. They're buying that list of recurring customers and recurring payments in a way. Yeah. So what do you, what do you hear about constantly? Like what is the most popular side hustle imaginable? <laughs> most popular side hustle. Oh my goodness. Um, everybody wants to be a YouTuber these days. That's that's for sure. Even like looking through my kids, you know, he was in kindergarten, but looking at the, you know, fifth graders in the yearbook, you know, and it says, well, you know, what, what do you want in the future? And they're like, I, you know, I want to go to a good college. I want to study engineering. I want to have two dogs and one kid. And, but like a non-insignificant portion of them say, I want to be a YouTuber. And it's like, huh, okay. That's what the kids uh, are into. So that's a competitive landscape, but it is, it is, it's a cool landscape to play in because it's got this search engine element where if I can answer people's specific questions, then I have a chance to be discovered. But it's also got this like viral wild card where if I can get shown in the you know related videos and suggested topics. So I don't know. YouTube is a kind of a new content frontier for me. So I'm playing around uh, with that. I think that's a very popular one. 
Um, another one that has been going around is, um, you know, print on demand and, um, and printables. I kind of lump those together where you're sending in the case of print on demand, like you're sending physical products, but you don't have any inventory. And so, because that's very low risk, low overhead, that has attracted a lot of people too. you sell them on Amazon, sell them on Redbubble, sell them on Etsy through different uh, print on demand fulfillment services. And it's, it's cool. Like you come up with clever sayings, clever niche ideas. I think there's, there's definitely something to there, but very much a volume game where you, know, you got to crank out hundreds, thousands of designs of people that I've seen having the most success in that space have thousands of listings and only, you know, a fraction of those uh, drive the majority of sales, but you don't know what those fraction are going to be until you put in the reps and do all the work. That is one of those. Uh, I think somebody described it to me as the creator curse where they're yes. like, whatever you make, the minute you think like, oh, this is the one, this is what's going to be popular. Like inevitably it won't be that thing. Yeah. You never, you never know. And it's good and bad because it kind of forces you to publish and put things out in the world and see what kind of reaction they get. Yeah. Um, I think that's definitely good to hear though, because people are like, oh, well, I'll just have these three like killer designs and I'll yeah. run on that. And it's like, no, you, you got to have way more than that because no, if people can't discover you, like you said, you know, they can't find something they kind of like, like they're not going to look through your store and find stuff they really like. Right. Okay. So where do people fall off the wagon? Like where do they fall into traps or just run aground when they're trying to set up these side hustles? So falling into the trap of not prioritizing it, not carving out the time, and maybe even before that, not coming up with the driving motivation or driving why behind why you want to have that side hustle. What is this going to afford you? What are you most looking forward to about doing that work? Um, because that's, that's what's going to keep you going during those hard times when you're not seeing the traction that you want as fast as you want. You're not seeing the results that you want as fast as you want. And if, if you don't have that driving motivation, that why behind why you, are, why you started the side hustle in the first place, it's going to be a lot easier to throw in the towel and say, hey, you know what, it's, I'm just going to go back to Netflix or I'm just going to go back to doing whatever else I was doing with this time beforehand. I'm going to just go sleep in for an extra half an hour. Like this is just, it's not worth it anymore. So those are a couple of things that come to mind on that front. No, I think those are good because, you know, like you said, it might be, oh, my side hustle is just to make enough money that I am more comfortable. And I do that through, you know, Lyft or Uber, but I hate driving and I hate socializing. Like you are doomed yourself to failure here. <laughs> yeah. Unless you can really, you know, put on that face and do a couple airport runs in the morning and say, okay, let's, let's grin and bear it, I guess. But I actually like that. Um, a friend of mine or a, a guest on the show kind of positioned it and his side hustle was like just flipping stuff on Craigslist back in the day. And, um, he was like, can I find $50 in profit today? Can I find $100 in profit today? And that was kind of his mission. Did I check that box? Did I not check that box? And had a very concrete target on it, yes or no? Well, that's good. It's like the old school fundraising thermometer. Yeah, it's totally. Like, do I get to draw a line? Do I not? When do I hit the top of this thing? Like, And that, do you think, do you think that's beneficial for people if you give them just like a flat yes or no? Like, did I hit goal binary? Yes or no? I think it's helpful because you got to be honest with yourself. And one way that I do it is just itemizing out my top three priorities for 
the next day, the night before. So I know what to work on and in what order uh, when work starts. So I don't get sidetracked in reactive mode. I can start in proactive mode saying, well, this is what yesterday Nick said was most important. So let's tackle that stuff. And at the end of the day, it's like, did I get that stuff done? And it's either yes or no. And if I cross out two, three of those things, I know it was a good day. Nice. Um, so I had just like two things for you and I'll let you get out of here and I'm keeping you around. The big one I wanted to ask is what is the favorite you've ever heard? Like what side hustle have you heard that you're like, either this is brilliant or I love it. Like what's the reaction? Um, well, one of the recent ones that comes to mind was this woman who started a roadside stand business and she's like, Nick, you've done episodes on flipping domain names and flipping stuff from the flea market and flipping, you know, industrial equipment and every other random things, websites. I flip peaches. And I was like, like the fruit, <laughs> like I'd never heard of a peach before. Like, yeah, like the fruit, you know, you roll up to the orchard or you, you know, roll up to the grocery wholesaler distributor place. You buy a couple hundred bucks worth of peaches. You set up your roadside stand and you got a thousand bucks by the end of the weekend. It's like, I, you know, I've seen, I'm familiar with this. I've seen roadside stands. My parents have their like, um, you know, Honeycrisp Apple dealer that sets up, you know, down the street from them. I just, you know, never put two and two together. Like, okay, this is a viable side hustle, you know, buy low, sell high, just with a different product. Um, so that one comes to mind. Another really creative one was in the, um, what I'll call like the unconventional rental space where I, I've, you know, was taught that, you know, a rental business is you, you, you go buy a three bedroom, two bath house in the suburbs and that's, that's a rental business. And if you can make 1% of the purchase price in terms of the monthly rent, you, know, you bought, okay. This guy, high school teacher out of New York was renting portable hot tubs. And he had this fleet of like 25 or 30 of these things that, uh, you know, it was like, well, where do you keep them all? And he's like, I truthfully, they're, they're all rented out. Like I, I don't have a storage facility or something. I just keep them rolling. Maybe I have, you know, two sitting in the side yard at any one time. It's like, this is fascinating. He, he had it all broken down. You know, you try and buy it, you know, low cost used. So you get it for like half off, you know, two grand, 2,500 bucks or something. And then you rent it out for four or 500 bucks a month, or you can parse it out like by week. And I was like, wow, that pencils out way better than a traditional rental property. And it's like, that's very cool. You multiply your money a little bit quicker, better return on investment. So there's a ton of creative ways people are getting it done. And I'm always inspired by the stories that kind of, you know, bubble up from the side hustle nation community. Yeah, that is very interesting. I had, I have not heard of a portable hot tub dealer. <laughs> I think he did really well during the pandemic when everybody was kind of stuck at home and they're like, you know, what would be a cool activity for the kids? Like, okay, yeah, we could set this up in our backyard. And especially like, I don't want, you know, the multi-thousand dollar investment of, you know, committing to a hot tub and the maintenance for that. But oh, yeah, sure. If you're going to bring it over for a few weeks at a time, let's, let's do it. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those where you're like, well, I don't want to own a hot tub, <laughs> but I got a lot of stuff going on in the next week. Like maybe I bring a hot tub in for the, for the week or the month. Like, yeah, he definitely had me looking around on Facebook marketplace. Like, okay, can I find this model anywhere near me? Like this sounds interesting. I would, you know, set it up at home. And then if you're not using it, go set it, send it up, rent it out to somebody else. But I thought that was a pretty creative way to do it. Awesome. The other one that just kind of like, now I'm curious as we've been talking is what is this podcast? Do I consider it a hobby or do I call it a side hustle? 
Well, I think you got to call it a <laughs> treat, treat it like a business because I mean, if nothing else, you can write off your expenses related to it. Um, I think for five years, and this isn't tax advice, but I think for five years before the IRS says, ah, you just suck at business. <laughs> like we're not going to allow you to deduct these expenses anymore, but uh, you know, keep track of the expenses, keep them separate from your personal stuff. And if you treat it as such, you say like, oh, okay, there's a, now there's a measuring stick to say, you know, not only am I impacting people, but I'm adding, I'm improving my bottom line at the same time. And I don't know, that kind of makes it, makes it fun for me. Awesome. Well, I have appreciated your time immensely. I wanted to give you some time to just kind of like plug yourself and the things you're doing and where people can find you. Absolutely. Would love to have you tune into the Side Hustle Show on your favorite podcast app. We are over 500 episodes. So pick and choose the ones that sound most interesting to you. SideHustleNation.com slash ideas is a good place to start. This is my free uh, laundry list of part-time business ideas with the goal being that you have you know, five or 10 browser tabs open by the time you reach the bottom of that list, things that you want to learn more about that sound interesting to you just to get the creative juices flowing. Again, SideHustleNation.com slash ideas uh, for that list and the Side Hustle Show podcast, wherever you uh, listen to podcasts. Awesome. Yeah. And the the thing I always say, anytime I have a guest on here who has a podcast, if you go and listen to this podcast or you have just enjoyed him being a guest on the show today, go over and drop a review on like Spotify or iTunes or Audible. Like if you're listening on those, especially just leave him a good review. Like it helps podcasters more than anyone recognizes. Very much appreciate that. Thank you. Alrighty. Thank you again for your time. You bet. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you want to help the show grow, rate it five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you haven't already, tell someone else about the show. Say, hey, I like the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you listen to it, it's pretty good. That helps the show grow, gets us out to more people. It's really the best thing you can do for me. If you want to reach out, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, or questions from the audience. Or you can find us on any of the major social medias, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever else. Hopefully people are enjoying the move to two episodes a week and getting some extra content weekly. I'll see you back around on Monday for another all-new topic you won't want to miss. Bye bye <laughs>